It's here. Oh my goodness, you guys. First of all, first of all, to you I say happy October. You know, thank you. When I said it's here, I, there are a couple of things to which I am referring. It's spooky season in, in more ways than one, really. I know. <laughs> Welcome, welcome to our coverage of Unsolved Mysteries. Welcome to the first time you and I have ever, ever, like, recorded a second episode in a week specifically for the regular feed. This is amazing. This is like a dream come true for me. Right, and surprise to the people who are like, what the? Who look at their podcast feed and see just more of us, for better or worse. I'm so excited to be doing this. I'm so excited to be talking about Unsolved Mysteries. I gotta ask you, before we get to anything else, what is your relationship? to Unsolved Mysteries because I'm it's like the Golden Girls to me I'm like a super fan yeah I of course like everyone grew up with it in my way the music of course like oh everyone God. is in my bones and scares me to death <laughs> it kept me up at night absolutely I'm not it's not a total obsession I'm excited that Netflix has this new this new incarnation of it. I loved Unsolved Mysteries so much. I loved Robert Stack. I watched it by myself. Nobody would watch it with me. So I used to watch it by myself at night. My whole family would be asleep. And I remember our windows in our living room looked out into the woods. And I I know, I know. And I used to do this thing where I would try to turn it off before that end theme credit music came on. Because that end theme credit music was so much scarier than the rest of the music on the show. It's very final. It's basically daring you to go to sleep. Yes. Good luck. (laughs) Good luck, everyone. I just, I love Unsolved Mysteries so much. You guys, on our Patreon, if you go way back to like week one, one of the things you and I were going to do, do you remember this? Yes. We were going to recap like the original Unsolved Mysteries in order. On video. On video. Unedited. On video. (laughs) And we did it. We did one episode on my with my camera phone. Sitting on the floor of your apartment up and leaning up against your bed on the floor. Yeah. We did it one time. We we're like, I don't think that's going to work. Out. If only because it's uncomfortable to hold. You had like a selfie stick. Like if only because we didn't. It, the angle wasn't great. Travel down the road back again. Girl, calm is a sponsor this week. You guys, listen to me. One of the most powerful ways to improve your overall health and happiness is to get a good night's sleep. Yeah. But if your routine has changed, and show me a person whose routine has not changed, (laughs) it can be harder to fall and stay asleep. You guys, this is where calm comes in. I really like falling asleep to thunderstorm sounds. It just helps me. Oh, me too. The thunderstorm sounds are for me. I love it so much. I put the calm app on. Yeah. I start it, pick my thunderstorm sounds, and I like don't remember falling asleep. You guys, though, the Calm app also has over 100 sleep stories narrated by soothing voices like Stephen Fry, Kelly Rowland, and Laura Dern. Laura Dern. It's not soothing, but will you give us your favorite Laura Dern moment? I will not not be rich from Big Little Lies. I don't even know if that's how she said it. I really have the gif in my head. Maybe she doesn't say that. I feel like that's not as calming. No, but we still need it. It's still Laura Dern reading you bedtime stories. What are you kidding? You guys, over 85 million people around the world 
use Calm to take care of their minds and get better sleep, including me. Good. It's really, really helping. If you go to calm.com slash TCO, you'll get a limited time offer of 40% off a Calm premium subscription, which includes hundreds of hours of programming. You guys, one more time, in case you weren't listening, pull over. For listeners of TCO, Calm is offering a special limited time promotion of 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash TCO. Right, so that's 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library. Have we mentioned Laura Dern? Plus, <laughs> new content is added every week. So get started today at calm.com slash TCO. One more time, that's calm, C-A-L-M dot com slash TCO, which is just TCO. That's for true crime. Oh, okay, I got it. True crime obsessed girl, welcome. Thank you so much. Thrilled to be here. <laughs> Girl, Unsolved Mysteries, episode one, mystery on the rooftop. What a, and what a mystery it is, girl. It's not just a mystery on the rooftop. There are a lot of mysteries in this. It's not yeah. just It's not just connected to the rooftop for me. I have a lot of questions, a lot of feelings. I know. You guys, uh, breaking news, Porter Stan- Stansberry, is that how he says his name? Yes. <laughs> Porter Stansberry, the guy who, if you've watched the episode, he's like the shadowy mystery figure. He has given an interview to the Baltimore Sun. By the time you guys are hearing this, it'll, that might be old news. For us, it's pretty new news. And so we are going to reference that article and interview throughout because he really has not spoken much on this at all. And we get some pretty important information. Yeah, he hasn't spoken much unless it's giving out cease and desist letters to people right. who discuss this episode. <laughs> And we know some of them. We might be one of them. (laughs) Who knows? You know, hey, October might be one hell of a month. I don't know. Girl, we've literally never had to speak to our attorney before recording an episode, but we have for this one. (laughs) Due diligence. Look it up. And Porter, if you're listening, look, I've got a lot to say that like is in support of what at least you're mentioning. Is it Stansberry or Sansberry? Who cares? Stansberry? It it sounds like the name of a villain in a Lifetime movie. That's all I'm saying. Porter (laughs) Stansberry? That name can't be real. That name, there's no way that name's real. Porter, girl, we're going to say a lot of mean things about you, but I'm also going to come to your defense at some point. So just sit tight, girl. The lawyer said to not talk to him directly, and we are already breaking the rules. (laughs) All right, let's get started. So we... It starts with the wedding video for Allison and Ray Rivera. They are this like young, beautiful couple getting married in Puerto Rico. So what are your thoughts, Ray? Uh, I'm really excited. And I can't wait to see Allison come down the aisle. We were both so happy. My wedding in Puerto Rico was just magical. We got married in a town called Isabella and rose right on the beach. It's like this gorgeous, beautiful wedding, and and to my and my, I was like, oh, this is gonna be horrible. Like the yes. the, the happier right. it all is at the beginning, <laughs> the worse it's gonna be. Right. So I'm like, this gorgeous wedding video in Puerto Rico. They're so happy, everyone's so happy, and I'm like, oh, everyone's dreams are about to be shattered. Great. And I present to you Ray and Allison Rivera. And they do that perfect unsolved mysteries thing where like you see them after the after like the nuptials walking up the aisle and then it freeze frames and it slowly zooms in on Ray's face and then it stops and I'm like, ah, unsolved mysteries is back. This is not unsolved mysteries first time at the rodeo. This is right in their wheelhouse. (laughs) I love it so much. I don't know why he disappeared. When they said it was suicide. It was like he ran out of the house like he was late for something. Who sits there and says, oh, you know what, 6.30, time to jump off a big roof. 
I kept saying there is something bigger, there is something more going on. I think he turned over some rock and he shouldn't have turned it over. But I know that he didn't kill himself. So we meet like the family, right? It's like, so Ray Rivera is the the guy who died. His wife is Allison. His brother is Angel. His mom is Maria. And they're all like really lovely people who are going through this horrible thing. And you're just sort of in love with all of them. Like his mom is just really warm and just like the biggest heart. And Allison, his wife says, you know, he wanted to be a writer and a director and they lived in California. But look, you know, the the Hollywood dream right now wasn't really paying the bills. So Ray turned to his friend in Baltimore, Porter Stansberry. Porter was his high school buddy. They were both water polo players, and they stayed very, very good friends. To which I just said, I guess high schools just have water polo teams. Like, that's not just a thing from John Hughes movies. This one in California does. Again, Porter Stansberry sounds like a John Hughes character. He's the mean guy. He's going to be mean to Molly Ringwald. He's just going to. He's the James Spader. Okay, totally right. (laughs) Party at Porter's house. Those kids are cannonballing, like, out of, like, the upstairs windows into the pool. It's the most colorful yard you've ever seen. Just, like, perfectly... Manicured shrubbery. They call like the smart nerds the anti-gay F word the whole time. The entire time. No homo is uttered countless times. (laughs) Which you know I can't. So, but Allison, this is when Allison looks directly to us because she's like. Porter, who's like a big finance guy. And I'm like, you want to say finance bro, girl. You totally want to say finance bro. And that is valid. That tracks 100%. Yeah. And it's like, like, you know, Porter's really successful. He's got this business. I don't really understand what the business does. Porter, please don't sue me over not knowing what your business is. But it's like something to the, it's like something in finance and they write newsletters or whatever. But the point is he's successful and he like loves his friend and he wants to work with him. Porter had always wanted Ray. It was for a long time, um, Ray to come write for him. Even though Ray didn't know finance or stocks, Porter's persistent and really wanted to work with his friend. So Ray took a writing job writing financial newsletters in Baltimore. So Allison and Ray are like, it's not going great in California. We're going to like up and move to Baltimore and go work for Porter's company. And they make this pact that they're going to stay for 24 months. That's they two get years. This- yeah. <laughs> you, so when your kid is 24 months old, they're two years old. <laughs> Just a reminder, we haven't really reviewed that in a while. If your, a kid's 20, if your kid's 25 months, yeah. two years old. <laughs> Enough. So they moved, they get this like amazing house in, in Baltimore and we see the house and I'm like, oh, that is like the house that like suburban dreams are made of. Yeah, it's, it's, it's beautiful. So they get there in December 2004 and they have a great home, this great community. They're super happy. So May 16th, 2006, Allison has to take a business trip and she tells this story, of course, like raised the perfect husband. That morning I was a little tired. I had a three hour drive and Ray got up with me and made me breakfast. It was such a beautiful morning. And I said to him, I was like, I love you so much. And and he was like, thank you for loving me so much. He carried my suitcase down the stairs, put it in the car for me, and I was off. Nobody says this outright, but like, this is the last time they ever see each other. Yeah. And so... Allison gets to where she's going. She's got like a long day. She finishes her day at 6 or 6.30 and she calls him and doesn't get him. This is one of those amazing things that documentaries do where we hear his outgoing voicemail and it's actually him. Please, I just wanted to leave me a message. Puse el número uno para dejarme un recado. No, gracias. 
And I was like, oh my God, to like actually hear, like, how does that happen? Somebody saved that and let them use it? Like, yeah, I think, I think that's exactly it. (laughs) I figured it out, girl. I think that's exactly (laughs) it. Like, I think, because, you know, Allison has his phone. We'll get to that in a little bit. But I think when something tragic like this happens, you hang on to every single thing you can. And one of those things is their voicemail. It's their voice, you know? People say that all the time. They won't change the outgoing message of someone they love who died because that's like, that's just hearing, hearing their voice still. Sometimes I think about the fact that when I was in college, um, I was asked to be B. Arthur's host for the weekend. This story again? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Snore sound. But wait, Porter, you're going to like the story. She had my, my, my phone number to my room and she called me and left me like a whole bunch of messages and I always wished I had like found a way to record them and save them. Oh yeah. That would have been great. I, I could have played them right here having just figured out how they got the voicemails into the documentary yeah. I could have inserted the B. Arthur voicemails right into the podcast right the seventh time we told the story totally. you'd finally have figured out a way to insert the audio oh this story again how dare you <laughs> we're professional podcasters by the way Porter has turned it off by now he's like are they fucking serious these whatever idiots? Porter <laughs> bye we had a house guest and her name was Claudia, and she was a colleague. And this is yeah. when we learned that they had a house guest at home in Baltimore. Hang on a second, because I went down a fucking Reddit rabbit hole with this shit. With, with co- Claudia. With, with Claudia the colleague, and she's Allison's colleague. Yes, because the first time I watched this, I was like, okay, whatever. I like kind of blew past that detail. And then all of a sudden, I was like, Claudia, why? Hang on. Slow down. Now, it could just be as simple as they work for the same company. Al- uh, Allison was going to be out of town. Her colleague was going to be in town. And rather than staying at a hotel, I guess just come stay at my place. But did that strike you as weird? Um, For two seconds. And then the more I heard about the story, I was like, oh, this is just a thing that happened. I don't know. I This detail struck me. And I will tell you, it struck a lot of other people, too. Like, why was this person there? And it's uh. probably harmless. It's probably exactly what Allison says it is. But it is just one of those details that when, like, some mysterious shit happens you're gonna like it's gonna make you take a left turn right so Allison can't get a hold of Ray so she calls Claudia and is just like hey look like have you heard from my husband and she said around 6 30 she had heard a phone call come in heard Ray answer and then run out of the house in a hurry and she hasn't seen him since. Claudia, girl, we've encountered this in other documentaries where, like, some really fucking weird shit happens, but then, like, the person who noticed it waits for the people to call them. Could you pick up the phone and call Allison and be yeah. like, is Ray okay, girl? Claudia's not in this documentary either. No, hmm. I know. I know. Right? Now now who wants to go down the Reddit rabbit hole? <laughs> Me. Who says I'm not? You can't see my computer. You don't know what I'm type, type, typing. I could be side-googing for all you know. I could be side-googing yeah. and you don't even know about it. I feel it. like Allison at one point even wants us to get more information because she like pointedly tells us that the woman's name is Claudia. She's like, I had a colleague staying here. Her name was Claudia. Boop. Yeah. And then Netflix just had to edit around totally. the last name every time she said it 15 times. Um. So yeah. So then suddenly we're at, it's the next morning at 530 in the morning. Suddenly. Yeah. Like, like Allison goes to bed or doesn't sleep a wink. But yeah. all, overnight, like no one's heard from Ray. And so the next morning at 530 in the morning, Claudia calls Allison. And she's like, Allison, he's not home. I'm not one to panic, but there was just something that wasn't right. I'm like, I'm headed home. 
Allison says, I'm not one to panic, but something wasn't right. Allison, girl, panic all you want. It's 5.30 the next day. Panic. I wrote in huge letters, who are these people who are not ones to panic? I don't understand that instinct. I mean, obviously something fucking crazy has happened. So Allison heads home. I made this note, like, if it were me driving home, I don't. where do you get one of those 1970s, like, woo-woo-woo things that you can, like, put on top of your car? A you know, siren? You see- <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> but the specifically, like, the portable kind that you see, like, in those old cop shows. The old, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the 70s, yeah. How do they stay on there? Where do you get one? All I know is that if it were me driving home, I haven't heard from Steve in, like, 18 hours, that I would have found one of those things, and I would have been going 89 million miles an hour down the highway. No, you know what you could do? Just put the window down and scream. They'll hear you. <laughs> you, you don't need a little 70s magnetic siren. <laughs> put the window down. Can you imagine me going up, like, 95, going, you should not be driving. You should, no. and, and another thing, you should not be driving in this situation. If we tell people to pull over listening to this podcast, you living an episode of this podcast, you should not be driving. No. You should not be behind the wheel. Uh, Porter, are you having fun? Travel down the road and back again. Girl, Philo is a sponsor this week. I have a story, girl. I want to hear everything. Tell me. So I make another podcast um, about the ID show Disappeared. Yeah. I wanted to actually watch it on ID. I don't have cable. Right. Because who has cable? Not me. But you have to log in with a cable like subscriber or whatever. Yeah. And Philo is one of them. So I got Philo. $20 a month, you guys. Unlimited access to ID. And if you're a true crime fan, like so much other true crime content. Like everything we've ever covered where it's not on like a Netflix or whatever, like all the cable shows. Totally. Philo has. So it's live and on demand for just 20 bucks a month. You guys, turn off this podcast, throw your phone away, and go get Philo. And you can get like, you know, Law and Order if you want to watch SVU. Yeah. Like I used to do back in the day when they used to have those marathons on USA or whatever. Who cares? Philo does it now. You guys, this was also totally my experience. There's no contracts. Philo is cord-free, commitment-free, hassle-free, and has unparalleled customer service, which you'll probably never need to use because they're so great and easy. Yeah, and they have this unlimited DVR. Remember DVR? They do? Yeah, when I cut cable, I was like, okay, so I'm not going to be able to record anything. And how do I get like every channel? I'm not going to pay for every single app. Yeah. And I went down this Google rabbit hole and then Philo comes along like, hey, girl, I've, I've been here all along. And so totally changed my life. Yeah, so you can record stuff whenever you want. Unlimited. Philo! It's amazing. You can watch from your phone, your laptop, your tablet, or TV with Roku, Fire TV, Apple TV, or Android TV. It's like you have no excuse. I don't know what you're doing with your life. It's just they make it so easy. It's almost rude yeah. of you to not. <laughs> Hang out with Philo, okay? So, you guys, Philo TV is for everyone. Sign up today at philotv.tco and you'll get 25% off your first two months. So, that's P H I L O.tv slash TCO. Go do it. Get your ID on, you guys. Honestly, what else do you need in your life? I mean, honestly. <laughs> So Allison tells us she's not one to panic, but on this drive on the way home, she literally says that she calls everybody they know. So yeah, she calls Angel the brother, Maria his mom, no one has heard from him. So at this point, like Angel the brother is like, yeah, I'm on a flight from Orlando to Baltimore immediately. Like as soon as he gets this call, he's he's on his way to Baltimore. Which I think is a little drastic, because wouldn't you be like, all right, give it a day if if you haven't heard from him in a... No, I know. I don't think I would be. I'm really I'm really thinking about it. I'm really racking my brain. This is a very, very close family. If I didn't hear from Mike overnight, overnight, if it was like the last time anyone saw him was 630 and the entire night, no good night. I love you call. No. How was it? No check in. No. Oh, my God. Something crazy happened. And I got home at 3 a.m. Like nothing. Wait, I'm sorry. Did we just learn about your relationship that Mike still when you're traveling to this day will give you a good night? I love you call. Of course he will. 
If we're not oh, together, God. Steve, and we go, like Steve, <laughs> is this a product of having a child? Is this? What, it's gotta be. She- <laughs> if we're not together, we like check in. Like, all right, I'm in for the night. Love you. Bye. Okay, you're looking at me in a way. I'm like, is did the FaceTime freeze? What's going on here? What's? <laughs> I, Steve, honey, I know you love me. I get to the house. This car's not there. And I walk in, and in the kitchen, there was a soda can opened, a bag of potato chips, and his Invisaligns. I ran upstairs. Our bedroom light was on. The office light was on. He wasn't anywhere. He's nowhere. And I think her point here is that, like, he was obviously he was planning on coming back. Or, like, obviously he wasn't going out to take his own life. Like, he was in the middle of a snack. Or running out of the house was not planned. Also, Claudia, girl, do you have stock in the electric company? All the lights in the house are on. You're a guest. Turn the lights off. <laughs> Claudia. I feel like Claudia is, like, a member of the Pates of the Five. And now she's reconsidering her monthly pledge because we have just done nothing but talk shit and, like, and theorize on Claudia. My job is the following. We say this all the time. Our job <laughs> is to discuss what is presented to us in the documentary. What mm-hmm. is presented to us is that Claudia left every light in the house on. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> and also what Allison tells us is that Allison's like, so I get home, Claudia goes back to New York, and every other one of our friends and family comes down to Baltimore. I Claudia know. is out. Everyone else is in. I know. So now they've like cleared out the dining room and they make the dining room like basically like the headquarters of the search for Ray. And it's it's really crazy because there's news footage. Like they let the like the local news come in to like film them in their grief. Hi, um, I'm calling regarding a person that we're looking for. So I had cleared out the entire dining room area. Then it became work. Where do we have to go? What do we have to do? Here's the license plate number. Just to paint the picture, right? It's like their dining room table. They have all these maps, all these papers. They're getting yeah. license plate numbers. They're calling hospitals. I mean, this is an operation that she put together in a couple hours. It's kind of yeah. amazing. Porter put up a reward of $1,000 because Ray and Porter were good friends. And was able to get the media in there and kind of get that all stirred up. So Porter, hey girl, I know you're listening. Hey girl, Porter puts up this reward for $1,000, right? Let me just stop for, it's a little bit of a non sequitur, but let me say a couple things about Porter that we learned in this article from the Baltimore Sun. Mm -hmm. It's going to be said a bunch of times by the family and by Allison that Porter never talked to the cops. Porter absolutely refutes that. He said he did talk to the cops. He talked to a different cop than who's with us in this documentary, but he says he definitely did sit for an interview at some point early on in the investigation. But like, that aside, Porter girl, he moved across the country to work for your company, girl, and a thousand dollars is all you're gonna put up for him. You know, and one other thing that Porter says in the Baltimore Sun interview that is not in the Unsolved Mysteries episode is that Ray actually didn't still work for him at the time that he went missing. So, you know, who knows what's true or not. But in any event, that thousand dollars felt very like small to me, Porter girl. It felt like that to me too, and I even have in my notes. Am I allowed to say that? Yes. I didn't know if I was allowed to say that a thousand dollars is a low number. So they're they're getting nowhere. They have this this amazing team assembled, but like they're getting nowhere. Ray's phone is dead. There was no credit card usage. No cash was getting withdrawn. No le- like all the usual stuff. You got we've watched documentaries before. Again, <laughs> Unsolved Mysteries is not our first rodeo either. This is like literally episode one hundred and ninety seven. Yeah, like and so then we get Jane Miller. Jane Miller is here, and she's a local reporter. She's with us. 
throughout. I have in all caps with lots of periods, and she is not fucking around. This no, she's woman. not. <laughs> Although at first, I, I, I like I'm on Team Jane. Like I think she's yeah. Good. But yeah. at first, she's like, you know, I was super in- interested in this case because it was so unusual, and I'm like, or because someone was missing, right? Like just like at the core <laughs> yeah. of it, like we're all guilty of saying that shit, Jane. <laughs> I, know. I know, I know, it's terrible. My interest in Ray Rivera's story was because it seemed just so unusual to have a 32, I think he was 32 years old at the time, popular, no evidence that he was trying to run from something or distraught about something, that he kind of just, poof, vanished. And so now they sort of give us a timeline. He's been missing for six days. And this was kind of amazing. Like, like Allison's been out searching the city all day. And the parents, when she gets home, are like, we're going to go out looking for his car. Mm-hmm. And they're not gone 15 minutes before the mom is like, that's the car right there. To which I just said, let the women do the work. Because the dad's like, no, honey, no, it isn't. I know. And she's like, sweetheart. It's the car. Guess what? It's the car. So Allison now, today, takes us to the parking spot. I love that shit. I know, me too. My mother and father found the car right here. This is parking spot number seven. By the time I got here, which is about 10 minutes, um, there were cops everywhere. Uh, The media was everywhere. I just like looked around and I was looking, you know, I was looking at these buildings. I just, I was like, why are you here? Why are you here? Why would you be here? Why, 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 why? And so we get this timeline because, you know, they talk to the parking attendant and they, they're able to pinpoint, based on the fact that there was a ticket on the car window, that the car had been put there the night that Porter went missing. Right. So they're saying, like, okay, he got in his car and drove here. Yeah. But we're back to Jane. And remember, Jane is the one who kind of, like, speaks out of turn. She's like, well, this shit just got interesting. <laughs> when they found the car, that really, you know, accelerated the interest in the case because now you had... A clue. It became this mystery right away. It was like, where is he? His car is here. What happened to him? Now it really started to have the appearance of, hmm, foul play? She tells us where the car was found in a parking lot that was attached to the Belvedere Hotel, which is now a condominium, she wants us to know. Yes. But it used to be this really fancy pants hotel that was like kind of like the happening spot in town, the Belvedere. And I got to say, like, eventually we we see like pictures of the inside. It was like the fancy place with like a restaurant and a bar. Like, it, I love hotels in general. I love Me like too. fancy old hotels. Oh, like, I, I love this shit, so I totally get it. But like Jane is like, well, now it's a mystery girl. Like now my editors are going to let me cover this. Right. So things are about to get really weird, you guys. So everyone is out looking for this guy. Everybody loved this guy. Three of Ray's co-workers decided to go on the top of the parking garage next to the Belvedere. They looked over the edge and they spotted flip-flops on the lower roof area near a hole. So this thing that they're looking at is another roof within the complex of this Belvedere Hotel. The Belvedere Hotel is super enormous. It's really tall. But it also has like a lower level that has a a roof on it too. They see a hole in this lower level roof and flip-flops on the roof. And all of a sudden, it's like everyone's at 100. Right. And the image, we see it. It just, I'm like, oh, it's that black little spot on the white roof. And then in context, it blows your mind. And the fact that we like see the video footage of this hole in the roof, it's so ghoulish. Our favorite word. It's fucking ghoulish. Ooh, I hate it. But also spooky season, so welcome. Yeah. <laughs> 
So the men find it, call the cops, obviously. And then we meet Gary Shivers, who's a former concierge at the Belvedere. I spent 30 years of my life there. Started off as a uh, busboy making $2 and something an hour. And then when I left, I left as a property manager. A lot of great memories. A lot of great memories. But not that memory of Ray Revere. That was not a great memory at all. I love Gary Shivers so much. And may I just say, as a person who was a hotel concierge for like six years of my life, that is a hard job. People are rude. People are not nice. People want what they want. Remember when we were at a hotel and you ordered coffee and then you asked for milk and sugar and they were like, I'm sorry, what? Like you, like they had never, (laughs) like no one in, no one in the history of that hotel had ever ordered milk and sugar with their coffee in the morning. I know. It was at one of the crime cons or something. I remember being like, can I? They brought the coffee up. It was with no milk or sugar. And I called back down and asked for some. I was like, that you was got so what? Weird. Nashville, what is going on down there? You know what, Nashville? <laughs> Whatever. Travel down the road and back again. Girls, Stamps.com is back. I have a story. I have a story. What's up? What's going on? So, you know, the whole thing about Stamps.com is that they give you all of the conveniences of the post office, but like from your couch and your computer, you know? Right. Yeah. So no long lines. Those like three o'clock in the afternoon lines. So here's the thing. The other day it was raining out and I was walking to an eye appointment and I walked past the post office and there was a line around the block of people waiting to get in. And I thought, save this for the Stamps.com ad. Yes. You guys, if you get your Stamps.com right now, you never have to wait in that line again. I know. And like, we love the post office. They're needed. But I got to tell you, going there, not my favorite thing. It's never a quick trip to the post office. I got to say, this is not the post office's fault. It's just the way of the world right now. Like, I don't want to be inside anywhere. That's not my house. You know what I mean? It's either outside or inside my house at home, not inside like a post office. Yeah. And it kind of uproots your whole day. You're like, I have to go to the post office. Either you have to walk a couple blocks, get in your car. I know. When you're kind of in the zone and you're working and you're getting everything done, the last thing you want to do is stop everything to stand on a line for 45 minutes. You have to mail one card, right? It's your mom's birthday. Now you've got to go to the post office? No. Not anymore. With stamps.com, you just boop, you print that stamp right off on your computer. You just leave it for your mail carrier. Bada bing, bada boom. You never have to go back to the post office. Yeah. And the thing is, stamps.com also offers UPS services with discounts up to 62% and no residential surcharges. I like the sound of that. Not to mention five cents off every stamp. You know, mama loves a discount. Well, not me, but Steve. Well, right. (laughs) I just want that birthday card sent on time. That's what I want. I love Stamps.com, you guys. Right now, our listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment, girl. Yeah, so just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in T-C-O. You guys, that's Stamps.com, enter T-C-O. My birthday's December 21st. I expect cards from each and every one of you. No excuses anymore. So Gary, the concierge, the cops show up and he takes them to that place where the hole is. And the space was the old racquetball club. We called it the old church space. A lot of people probably wouldn't know that, that it was used at all. This hotel is so old that they have places in the hotel that no one goes anymore. And this, where the hole is, is one of those places. Right. And remember, it's been days. And it's Baltimore. And it's yeah. a hotter months. So Gary opens the door. Open the door up. And the first thing I did, I smelled the, the, the stench. The smell was a dead body, and you could see the wall where the blood had came down, and his legs were towards the door. I looked up, and I saw outside. That roof there was metal, 
So he came right through the metal and right through the ceiling. Still today, when I open up a door, sometimes I still see that body. It's just something that I would never want to see again. And can I just say, that, like, that means that that area of the hotel must be so isolated. Like, the fact mm-hmm. that nobody goes anywhere near enough to that area that, like, you wouldn't smell the stench of a really, truly, excuse me, like, a rotting corpse. Or would hear the impact of a right. body falling through a ceiling and and hitting the floor with all of that force. I'm sorry to be as blunt as I am, but like there's a lot that no one saw or heard. So now we're with Detective Michael Bayer, and he's going to tell us later, keep this in mind, everybody, of all the detectives that that worked this case, he was the only one who was convinced that this was a homicide and not a suicide. So bear that in mind, he only worked on this case for three weeks. Like, this guy has a lot of opinions for a guy who was not on the case very long, is all I'm saying. So he's the guy who, like, goes to where the body is. The body pretty much was in a prone position. Decomposition was pretty extreme at that point. He had been missing for eight days. That's what really hurt. The decomp is going to destroy most of the evidence that you could see instantaneously if you got to that body right away. What happened was really intense because now we're going to talk about the autopsy and we learn like what this body went through. Ray's autopsy, it was some brutal reading. Multiple, multiple ribs fractured, punctured lungs, lacerations, seven, nine inches, damage to his skull, the right leg had two different breaks in it to the point where the bone was actually protruding through the flesh. With the extent of the injuries, it seemed like the man came from such great heights when he went through that hole. He says he came vertical like a projectile, which is just, I have it, I even have in my notes, I have, my God. Yeah, right. My God. You know, and, and that's when he's like directing us back to the hole. Like the hole is very like precise. It's a very small hole. And he came in like basically foot or head first. Right. So now it's like, okay, well, how did this happen? We all have questions. And yeah. Jane, the reporter, has some theories for us. The first theory was that he jumped off or fell off or was pushed off, but came off the very top roof, and then went through that lower roof 10 or 11 stories down. Jane also isn't quite aware that the family's going to watch this. Like, she kind of just lays out the theories as though, like, nobody's nobody's bedside manner is that great in this episode. I, you know, I wonder, I wonder if the reason for that is, like, they're explaining the case to us in the most blunt terms possible because we might help solve this mystery. You may be able to help solve a mystery. Like, maybe they're just like, let's just do this as if we're reading, like, a super blunt police report because one of us might have some kind of tip. Although, projectile. Oh, God. (laughs) So, Jane says, you know, the theories were that he came off the very top of the roof. So, I don't even know how many stories it is, but it's it's a very tall building. They said it's 10 or 11. But then we we start to get, like, the mathy sciencyness of it because they say that, like, there isn't a place on the roof where you could jump off and make the hole in the roof where he made it. The hole was quite a distance out. The rough angles I could get were 45 feet from the Belvedere to where the hole was, even to attempt a jump, a running jump, to get to the point where the hole was, was, in my mind, virtually impossible. He was a tall, fit man, but he also was in flip-flops. 
they're just like this mate there's no way he jumped from one level to the other there's just no way the other thing about this too is that like we see the roof of the hotel and it's like it's all these great old school unsolved mystery shots it's all like at night and it's dark and it's creepy but there's no guardrails on the roof up there there's like nothing there's no barrier yet there is a door that takes you out to the roof Jillian make that make sense for me I can't do it I I, I wish I could <laughs> but yeah if there's gonna be a door you have to have some kind of guardrails or something yes. if, you, if there's not a door then don't have the guardrails but if right. I can get up there <laughs> I know guardrails there should be guardrails right guardrails. And, and Allison's like oh and for the record we were both like she and Ray were both super afraid of heights because Allison and her dad go up to the roof and we see a picture of them up there with concierge Gary he's the one who took them up there yeah and she's she wants to be there she wants to figure it out but she's like even leaning away from the edge and girl I know you felt very seen in that oh god I am so so utterly afraid of heights like even just watching the footage of them up there is just it's just too fucking terrifying and she says like I can't imagine why he would have been up there which is like I have such complicated feelings about what happened to him but like if if he was going to take his own life it doesn't seem like this is how he would have done it exactly and so they're saying like okay well there's no way you know Michael the detective is saying like he didn't come off from the very top of the roof they just didn't right so now they turn their attention to a different level of the roof which is the parking garage the top of the garage roof is only 20 feet so to me it it seems feasible a man could survive that even with going through the rooftop now the extent of the injuries to the body were pretty pretty intense so that theory went to rest pretty quick the injuries that he sustained were so horrible. They just don't match up with a 20-foot jump. Yeah, and then there was this whole other theory about the 11th floor where there's a ledge. But, like, because this is a condo slash office building now, he couldn't have gotten to the ledge without going through somebody's, like, personal apartment or a locked storage room or whatever. So so the ledge theory is very unlikely. No. And then now, so they're like, those are the theories. And I'm like, well, none of them really make sense. Great. Right. So now <laughs> even more things that don't make sense, they find both his cell phone and his eyeglasses near his body. So, and remember, the autopsy said, like, really, really severe, intense, nightmare-inducing injuries. The phone, not a scratch on it. The phone was entirely working order. This is his cell phone that was found on the roof. And there is not a crack in the screen, um, which I find really strange. The eyeglasses, not a scratch on them. His injuries were severe and fatal. And it's just odd that for the force it took for him to go through that roof, that the cell phone and glasses would survive that force. It's odd. And then they start to say that, like, Detective Michael says that he felt like the scene looked staged. Like, the phone and the glasses were put there after the fact. I don't know. I think phones and glasses are light. It doesn't necessarily surprise me. Like, they make the comparison to today that if you drop your phone from two feet, it, it cracks. But these phones back in whatever year this was weren't like the phones that we have today. We see but the Allison, phone. Yeah, Allison has it. No, I, yeah. I think I can't understand why someone would be like, let me just neatly place the glasses and phone next to him. But I also don't believe that that phone wouldn't have shattered into four pieces at least to me it would just snap and glasses it it all feels like red herrings to me I don't think anyone staged the scene I agree like again this is it's called unsolved mysteries but I yeah I do think that that phone and those glasses would have been shattered but I don't know why they weren't and I don't and and I don't think anyone just nicely placed them there and tiptoed away like I don't think that either so yeah and it's like you know then Allison is also showing us the flip-flops and like one of the flip-flops is like ripped to shreds the other one is in 
intact. She's showing us drag marks on the flip-flops. These are his flip-flops that were also um, on the roof. There's drag marks here that are pretty fresh. And then this one is, you know, this one is, is broken. I don't know how that, how all of this, how this even happened. So was he running? Or was he dragged or pushed? I mean, that's, see, I feel, I don't wear flip-flops because I think they're ridiculous. I love flip-flops. You're anti-flip-flop? I think they're, it's like, come on. How, first of all, you can't wear them around <laughs> New York City. I wear them around New York City all the time. You, sh- you shouldn't. <laughs> Are they comfortable for you? Yeah, you can't really like walk a distance in them, but like I wear them around the house or if I'm cleaning the kitchen or if I'm like going down to the doorman to get something That's or whatever. Fine. I love them. But this brings me to another point about Ray, which is that wherever he was going that night, it wasn't fancy. I, he ran out of the house in flip flops. Like, where was he going? Right. I don't know. Travel down the road and back again. Hey, fam. This very special episode of True Crime Obsessed is brought to you by the podcast Morally Indefensible. I am obsessed with it, and I'm going to let the host, Mark Smirling, tell you all about it. Writer Joe McGinnis and convicted killer Jeff McDonald started out as friends. It was this bond that was occurring, and it was unmistakable, and we were best friends. But when Joe wrote a book about Jeff, the friendship was over. Jeffrey McDonald's a psychopath. He has no remorse, no conscience. Did Joe lie to Jeff to get the truth? Is what Joe McGinnis did morally indefensible? I'm Mark Smerling of the Jinx in Crime Town, and I've got a new podcast, Morally Indefensible, coming soon to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. So this next part is what I, I found the most interesting in this whole episode. We meet this guy, Stephen Janis. He's an investigative journalist. And his whole point is like, somebody must have seen him, right? Remember, he's like the 6'5", broad guy. I mean, this happened in a public building where people are going to a restaurant. You know, Mount Vernon is a bustling neighborhood. There are people all over the place. And this guy just ends up dropping out of the sky and ending up in a conference room. And no one knows anything. Somebody must have seen something. So Stephen does this thing, which I love. He says, like, right after they found the body, he just goes to the hotel and starts talking to anybody he can find. Yeah. And then Angel Ray's brother says, and another thing, you can't just walk through that hotel and walk through the lobby. This is the goddamn Belvedere. This is a fancy pants place. He goes, I know that you can't walk in there like you own the place because I tried to do that. I tried to just walk in and be invisible and you can't. And he's saying he tried to get to the roof. Like, you can't just walk in there and walk up to the roof. It's not something that just anyone casually can do walking off the street. You have to go through like these back stairwells that lead up that in some cases are locked or are not open to the public. And then you go sort of navigate this labyrinth. To then get out through a door that's usually locked to get to this roof area. So in order to get there, you would have to know how to get there. The other thing here is that we already know, no matter what happened, he didn't fall or jump off the roof or get pushed off the roof. He couldn't have made that angle. I don't think he made it to the roof. I don't think he came from the roof. And clearly, I mean, Stephen even says, was he even at the hotel at all? Because they check cameras. There's no footage everywhere. Of course, guess right. what? The roof, the camera on the roof was disconnected that night. So excellent. Yeah. Just fucking right. perfect. Why right. even have them? Right. But any, like he wasn't on any of the other footage, like the actual entrance footage. Like he wasn't in the hotel, but he ended yeah. up on top of the hotel. And I just, there's no, there's no leads. I'm. Pulling my hair out. I have no idea what we're, what's going on here. I meant to thank you for going on this journey with me because I know how much you hate these cases. <laughs> I love the endless not knowing, the endless conspiracies, the endless I ideas. I like, do it. I know. <laughs> 
not for me. So we're back with Jane, and Jane is saying, like, this was a really big story in Baltimore for, like, seven to ten days. And then it was determined that it was a suicide, essentially, by the police, and the interest waned. And so Allison, the wife, meets with the medical examiner. And, like, according to Allison and everyone we're talking to, it's this major conspiracy theory by the cops to call it a suicide and just, like, and close the case. And according to Allison, again, the medical examiner is not in this documentary. I would like to Mm -hmm. hear from her. Allison says, I met with the medical examiner and she closed the door and she said, I know what they're trying to do and we are not closing this case. They said that what wasn't consistent with the fall was the way that his shins were broken. And that's all she would say. They did not say anything of what would cause the breaks. So the medical examiner declares the case as undetermined. So what she's saying is there's not enough evidence for either thing. There's not enough evidence to say he was murdered and there's not enough evidence to say it was a suicide. So the case cannot be closed. Right. Now, get ready for it to get real weird, you guys. So Allison tells us that, like, in the six days that he was missing, they turned that house upside down looking for any sign, any clue, anything. And she says, and I quote, that's when we found the note behind the computer. So, okay, so... We see a picture of it. We see a picture of a note in a bag. It's folded up like you were passing notes in class. It's folded up like that, right? But the whole thing has also been shrunken down. Like, he reduced the size of it to make it super small so he could fold it up and put it in a baggie and tape it to the back of his computer. So he, he wrote the note the day he disappeared, and we know that because Allison says there were scraps of, like, the other drafts of it in the trash can. Yeah. The note starts out brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, right now, around the world, volcanoes are erupting. What an awesome sight. Whom virtue unites, death will not separate. We're suddenly talking about volcanoes. And and then there are like a bunch of names of people he knew, but some like really important people in his life were missing. And then he wrote a list of movies and we're talking about Stanley Kubrick and M. Night Shyamalan and all of this stuff. And Allison's like, none of this is necessarily that weird because as a writer, he's always writing things down. She's like, he would have notepads and like they wouldn't be organized necessarily to anybody but him. So ideas and like inspiration and names of people he'd love to work with or actors or characters characters or whatever but she's like she just doesn't know why they're all here and taped to the computer but then which is like like you guys tell the people who live in your house why you're doing the weird shit that you're doing so if you go missing they have some explanation and we don't have to make documentaries trying to figure it the fuck out right because allison says like there were notebooks upon notebooks but why was this printed out in small type and taped to the like why wasn't it just in a notebook or on like a document on his computer or something it seems like he wanted it separate but Allison's like, I have no idea what the hell this is. So she goes, what I'm going to do is give it a goog. Thank you, Allison. Maybe she is a listener. <laughs> she googs the first sentence of the letter. I just took that first sentence and laid it into Google search. And the first thing that came up was Freemasons. He definitely was, you know, kind of curious in just secret societies, the Freemasons, um, and, and maybe he was looking to do a screenplay 
Now, I don't know much about the Freemasons. It's like that whole secret society thing, and he was either interested in it because he was writing a screenplay about it, or he was just fascinated by it. Porter, in this uh, interview that he did with the Baltimore Sun, says that at one point, Ray asked him if he was like a head guy in the Freemasons. And then and- another another friend who's interviewed for that says that Ray had asked him about Freemasons. Yeah. Yeah. And so it just seems like I don't know. I don't know what's happening. Like, is he losing touch with reality or is it just like a list of shit that he taped to the back of his computer for God only knows what reason? Like, what layer upon layer? It's either significant or not. And it's Unsolved Mysteries, girl. (laughs) I know. And Allison is saying this note. I hate because I don't understand it. But this is definitely not a suicide note. I do know that. There are no answers. Like, could he be just deep in the throes of research for some secret society movie? Look, secret societies are crazy. I would watch a movie about a secret society. I saw the skulls way back (laughs) in the day. Okay, I saw it in the movie theater, girl. (laughs) It could be some creative person kind of writing out and fleshing out an idea. But why would it be in small font and taped to the back of the computer? I can't get past that part. That's the part where I'm like, wait, what? I know. And so now we're actually in the house, and I love this. We're in the house. We're in the room where Claudia was staying. Again, Claudia, info at truecrimeobsessed.com. Girl, email me. I've got a lot of questions. But this is where we're getting more information on the call that Ray got that made him leave the house. And, you know, Claudia had said the call was super brief. It ended with a, oh, like, oh, like a surprise response. And then he tears out of the house. The police traced the call and found out the call came from Stansberry and Associates, where Ray worked. But there was no way to figure out who made the call because the call came from the switchboard, and they couldn't track down the caller's extension. Now, this is another portion of, the, of this documentary that Porter Stansberry takes issue with. Allison says the police traced the call and found out that it came from the Stanbury and Associates switchboard. Porter Stansbury, who owns Stansbury and Associates, denies this. He says it came from the parent company switchboard. And that, remember, Porter says that Ray wasn't working for him for a full six months before he disappeared. And that he was doing freelance work for another company owned by the parent company. So it could have been anybody who was working for that company that called him. Porter also says that everybody who worked for Porter that knew Ray was on a work retreat that weekend. So according to Porter in this article in the, in the Baltimore Sun, everybody who knew Ray that worked for Stanbury and Associates wasn't even in town. So there's no way they could have made a call from inside the office that had gone to the switchboard that then went to Ray's cell phone because none of them were in the city. Right. And so that kind of conflicts with what Mike the cop tells us because he tells us... Unfortunately, the company he worked for, Stansbury, the minute the body was located and I started inquiring about it, put a gag order on all their employees. Now, every possible person that knew Ray, worked with Ray, or had any answers for me weren't allowed to legally talk to me according to their company lawyers. This is important. Porter categorically denies that. He's like, it's not a matter of opinion. It is fact. We told our employees to direct any questions about Ray to a PR firm that we hired. So in speaking to our lawyer today about talking about this section, she was saying that a gag order is an actual legal order, a directive right. from a judge. So, it, it, I mean, if Porter did do this, then, you know, it would be provable in some way. Somebody There's could find, paperwork somewhere. There would be paperwork. Porter is saying that that did not happen so you know it's a he said she said unless somebody wants to go and like dig the papers up but important to note 
Porter says that is absolutely untrue. And what else is important to note, like, Porter's not in this documentary either. Right, and, you know, and Porter says his reasoning for not doing an interview for this, according to this Baltimore Sun uh, article, which we're going to put in the Facebook group, he says, I never talked about this because I didn't think there was a mystery about why he died. I mean, Porter believes that Ray took his own life, that he was suffering mental illness, and that he had a lot of uh, financial issues, and that when when that information came to light, to him it wasn't a mystery. So that's why Porter says he's not here. Yeah, and Allison's whole point is like, yeah, but you knew each other for so long. Like she, Allison just just thinks it's it's curious that Porter isn't like totally in the the team to help find Ray and help figure it out. So that that's where Allison's coming from here. Yeah, and like you know, and and Porter does say that like he did everything he could do at the time. He put up that measly reward. I'm sorry, Porter, a thousand dollars is not enough. No. And then he also said that he you know he spoke to the cops and you know his company had gone through a major like PR nightmare of a situation the year before Ray started working for him, where the SEC like find the over a million dollars and you know maybe he just wanted to keep his name out of the papers who knows but I mean it is it is weird that like they you know Ray and Allison move across the country to go work for this guy who was Porter's lifelong friend and according to Allison it seems like Porter never reached out right so Allison tells us that two weeks before Ray died she says something seemed to be really worrying him and that one day before he went missing it was like one o'clock in the morning and they're like asleep in their bed and the uh, their like alarm goes off It was like 1 a.m. and that thing had never gone off. That's the master bedroom window, so it was blaring. And I went down, um, I went down the stairs and around the corner and Ray came flying out with this big bat. And the fear in this man's eyes scared me to death. That guy was never afraid of anything. And she says, like, the fear and panic in his eyes, she had never seen anything like that before. She's like, he wasn't afraid of anything. To which I said, men, it's okay to be afraid of things. Enough with this toxic masculinity bullshit. Because all that fear comes out at 1 o'clock in the morning when your alarm system scares you out of bed, and that's okay. Yeah. And she tells us another story that, like, the week before, it had been a similar situation with one of the downstairs bedrooms or one of the downstairs rooms. Like, the alarm went off again, and they went and- Again at at 1 a.m., the same time. Yeah. And it looked like somebody had been trying to, like, tamper or, like, break in through the window. Somebody was trying to get in the house. I believe that it was connected to his death because it was that evening is when he never returned home. She's saying that, like, he felt under attack. And and her whole theory is that he was killed, he knew too much, he saw something he shouldn't have seen, that maybe he even knew something he didn't even know that he knew, but he had to be killed for it. Right, like, what could the information be for someone to want to actually kill him? Like, whether he's the, the newsletter writer or the videographer or just, like, a friend of the company, like, what could he possibly have known? Yeah, I, it, it just seems crazy who fucking knows you know and then when you think about it as someone when you're in a relationship with someone for so long and then it's like you you go down this this hole and you're like did I even know them at all like what what could they have known to put them in that kind of danger like what were they doing and then the taped note to the back of the computer I'd never sleep again to me I'm going with a helicopter theory that like he came through that roof so hard he was falling from such a distance I feel like he was like dropped out of a out of a helicopter I don't know he saw the helicopter I know (laughs) I mean, these people saw nothing. So I don't, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't put it past anyone in this four block vicinity of the Belvedere. So sorry, but you guys, no one saw or heard anything. I know. Like what? I know. know. I'm so like, how do you do this? 
how do you how do you live in this world of just like que- floating question marks and and exclamation points and rage and confusion? Um, you guys, we did episode one of Unsolved Mysteries. I mean, the thing about this one, too, that's extra frustrating is that it doesn't feel solvable. I believe we'll know what happened to Maura Murray someday. I feel like this is unsolvable. I feel like we will never know. Yeah. Shit. What did I get myself into? How many more of these are there? <laughs> 11 to go, girl. 11 there to we go. go. You guys, if you're looking for more GP and me, join us on the Patreon. Over 150 <laughs> full bonus episodes to download and binge right this second. Um, Girl, tell them where they can find us. You can find us at truecrimeobsessed.com. That's where you get episodes. We have a calendar now of like what we're doing next. Yes. Which is very fun and exciting. I know. All the, uh, the sponsor codes, all the merch, and then you can find you at... Patrick Hines underscore on Instagram and at Patrick Hines on Twitter. And you're at Jillian with a G on all the things. Um, that's it, girl. I love you. And you guys, I love you. This is great. Loving, loving everyone except the people who make me mad. That's I know. I'm. So, thank you for coming on this Unsolved Mysteries journey with me, girl. I'm so excited. I'm thrilled to be here, truly. And you know that list of people that make me mad growing by the day. I know. By the minute. <laughs> all right. We love you. Bye. <laughs> we love you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Porter Stansberry. Is he not the villain in a Lifetime movie? Or in no, like yeah. one of those old teen dramas on the WB, now CW or whatever it yeah, is? Yeah, totally. He's the, he's the bad guy. It's like, oh, Porter. Oh, Porter. Porter. <laughs> oh, no. You have to stop. You have to stop. She describes him as 6'5", 260 pounds, water polo player. She says broad shoulders, thin waist. And I just wrote, girl, tell me more. Yeah. <laughs> Are you saying that I should have my phone not on silent all the time? (laughs) My phone is on silent. So when the worst thing is that when I misplace it, which is constantly Uh when when the answer is like, oh, you want me to call it? Nope, it's on silent. Don't even bother. (laughs) Don't even bother. And then I have to do that find my iPhone thing, which is a that annoying thing. Mike loves it. (laughs) Don't listen to what he says about it. He thinks it's super charming and cute. He loves it. Happens all the time. 